We want to welcome you to the Bible teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church, where our desire is to honor God by faithful obedience to His Word. If you want to understand the Bible better, please continue to listen as Pastor Matt Postiff explains and applies the biblical text one verse at a time. You can reach us with questions or for more teaching audio and print material at our website, fbcaa.org. You can also watch our services live at fbcaa.org live. We want to thank you for listening and pray that you will be edified. Join us now as Pastor Postiff opens God's Word. All right, let's turn our Bibles to Acts chapter 9 this evening. Welcome if you're viewing the service on the computer. We're grateful for you to be doing that and long for you to be here in our number here soon. But Acts chapter 9, if you would please. I know you were expecting me to go to Acts chapter 2, but I, uh, I tricked you. I, I, that uh, Not really. I've been reading in the book of Acts in my Bible reading, and I came across this interesting verse in verse number 22, and I wanted to share it with you uh, and expand on it in, a, in good measure uh, tonight. It's in Acts 9 and verse 22. The Apostle Paul, you recall, in this portion of Scripture has been uh, recently converted uh, by a very unique means. The Lord Jesus himself encountered him on the road to Damascus and, uh, or let's say this way, arranged an encounter and uh, had uh, Saul uh, see him and, and, be and be saved. And then later on he was uh, baptized and confessed his sins. Ananias was instrumental in that as a human instrument. Um, and so he was there for some time in, in Damascus and preaching Christ in the synagogues. Verse 20 tells us that he is the Son of God. And then all who heard were amazed. Verse 21 says, you know, isn't this the guy that was trying to destroy the church? And now he's preaching the very thing that he tried to destroy. And then it says in verse 22, But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that this Jesus is the Christ. And it was that last phrase that I focused on. Let me read the verse again. But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, and I think it means this, by means of proving that this Jesus is the Christ, that he confounded them by proving that Jesus is the Christ. And we read a similar language in the book of Acts in a number of locations. I will turn to some of them and read them to you in Acts 17 as one. Verse number two, Then Paul, as his custom was, went into them and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, and saying, This Jesus, whom I preach to you, is the Christ. So in, verse, in chapter 9, verse 22, he's proving that Jesus is the Christ. Here he's reasoning and explaining with them or explaining and demonstrating that Christ had to suffer and rise again and that this, is, this Jesus is the Christ. Um, and so my focus tonight is what does it mean for us to prove that Jesus is the Christ? And perhaps this is an excellent exercise for us as we uh, prepare and approach the time of the art fair. We want to do some evangelism. We have a concentrated time of reaching out to perhaps hundreds of people that go by our booth. 
And so what does it mean to preach that Jesus is the Christ? Probably the most uh, well-known portion of Scripture, I won't have us turn there and look at it in any depth tonight, but just to mention it, that deals with this kind of idea is in Luke 24, on the road to Emmaus, not the road to Damascus, but the road to Emmaus, in which the Lord uh, began at Moses and the prophets and expounded to them in the scriptures all things concerning himself. And uh, he did that later in opening their understanding in verse 45 of Luke 24 that they might comprehend the scriptures. Thus it was written and thus it was necessary, he said to them, for the Christ to suffer and rise again from the third day. The sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. We'll mention that again. But Back in the book of Acts, we have similar language to this proving language, proving that Jesus is the Christ in verse 4 of chapter 18, 18, 4 and 5. It says, And Paul reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded both Jews and Greeks. He persuaded them. Would you be persuaded? Would you be persuaded about Jesus being the Messiah, the Son of God? When Silas and Timothy had come from Macedonia, Paul was compelled by the Spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. And then 1828 is the last one I'll mention. It says this, Paul vigorously refuted the Jews. I'm sorry, not Paul, Apollos. Vigorously refuted the Jews publicly, showing from the Scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. Okay, that is the point. Now, I think this is especially relevant to Jewish evangelism because they would understand the Old Testament as we call it, the Hebrew Bible. They would have had that background. But I'm wondering if we have enough background that we can understand what Paul is doing here. We need to have the same kind of background. And it might, you might say, well, it might not be so useful if I'm ministering to Gentiles. That's true in a way, but in another way, it's very important that we be able to connect the dots between the Old Testament and the New Testament and share that even with Gentile people because one of the things that is compelling about the Scripture is this idea that God predicted, prophesied from hundreds of years before the things that would occur and then they in fact happened. And that is an authenticating kind of fact that needs to be brought to the witnessing table, so to speak. So can we do this today, proving that Jesus is the Christ? How can we do this today? Well, remember, Paul and Apollos and the others in Acts 18, what did they have more than what you have? Well, Paul was an apostle, you could say that. Yeah, he had, he had that. Apollos? He wasn't an apostle. He was mighty in the Scriptures, as the Scripture tells us later, earlier in chapter 18 of Acts. But did he have a New Testament at his disposal? Nope. He had the Old Testament at his disposal. Did he live during the Old Testament times? No, they lived after it by hundreds of years. Now, you live after it by 2,000 years, but you know what? You have just as much as they had, plus you have more. They didn't have, they had the Old Testament, you have the Old Testament. They had the teachings that they received from the synagogue, you've had the teachings that you've received in the church. So can we do this today? Absolutely, yes. How can we do this today? Well, the general approach is this. We connect the dots between the Hebrew Scriptures, the Law, the Prophets, and the Writings, and we show how Jesus matches up to so many of those writings from centuries before. 
So again, saying it in more technical terms, we use the Torah, we use the Nevi'im, which is the prophets, and we use the Ketuvim, which is the writings, okay? The Torah, Nevi'im, and Ketuvim. T-N-K, Tanakh. Have you heard of the Tanakh before? That's what that is. It's the Old Testament scriptures, or what they call the Hebrew Bible. Along with the historical records of the New Testament, the Gospels, and the writings about those events, called the Epistles, and further revelation in the Epistles, we show by connecting those all together that Jesus is one and the same with the Christ. Now, first of all, who or what was or is the Christ? The word Christ is another word for what word in the Bible? Anybody? Christ means? Say it louder. means Messiah. It also has one other word we could use with it called anointed. Okay? Christ, Christos, is Greek. Mashiach is Hebrew. And what they mean is anointed. Uh, those words mean anointed. So those are similar words referring to the same thing. Uh, this is a very important concept in Hebrew religious thought because it refers to a person specially chosen by God. Now what I'm doing is I'm backing up to the Old Testament. I'm not, I'm not allowing right now the New Testament to affect what I'm saying. But what was the hope of the Old Testament believer? The Messiah concept refers to a person specially chosen by God to be Savior, to be Lord, and to be revealer of God to humankind. This was an individual, a person who is planned to be set apart by God as priest, king, and prophet. Okay, There are many references in the Hebrew Bible to this person. And there are other ones too, like uh, a servant, or holy one, or son of God. And probably we could think of a number of others. But there are four connections that I want to make in our message tonight. Just four. I'll have some verses with each one. Some dots to connect the Old Testament to the New Testament. In other words, to connect Christ, the Messiah, to his identity as Jesus. Okay, The Jewish person has no trouble acknowledging there is a Messiah. Well, today some have abandoned the hope of Messiah, but... Many who are true to the scriptures would say, yeah, there's a Messiah coming. There's something going to happen. Some, God has some, something special planned, some special person that's going to do this. And what Paul and the other apostles were doing is saying, wait a minute, this Jesus, that's him. Okay, You need to pay attention to this. So the first dot is the birth of the Messiah. Okay, That's the first dot that we're going to connect. The second is his identity. The third is his death. And the fourth is his kingly glory. Those are the four that I worked on in my study uh, the last couple of days preparing for this message tonight. Okay, So we first start with dot number one, the birth of the Messiah. What are the connecting dots here in the Old and New Testaments? Well, there are several, but Micah 5.2 comes immediately to mind. But you, Bethlehem, Ephratah, Though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come to me one who will be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. And then it happened, when Herod had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, 
But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Now that was from Micah. Micah was a long time after uh, David the king, right? And so they are, what, what Micah is saying is, regardless of David, there's coming another ruler out of Bethlehem who's going to rule my people and whose goings forth are from of old of everlasting. Now, in Herod's uh, question and then the priest's answer, what happened was the wise men who were listening to this discussion went and journeyed, and indeed, they discovered a baby in Bethlehem. This, is, this Jesus is that Christ. In Isaiah 7.14, it says, The Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and, you shall, call, and shall call his name Emmanuel. And then Joseph, while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this was done, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and bear a son. And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. So really, under the connection of, of the dots of the birth of the Messiah, you have his birth place, and then you have his birth method, okay? The, the uh, virgin conception and birth, and that his name would be called Emmanuel, meaning God with us. So undoubtedly, if Paul, I think if Paul is preaching, he must have touched on these themes and probably a whole bunch of others that I haven't thought of because he was far more genius than I am. But you get the idea. You're connecting the dot with the birth of Christ. Don't be afraid to do that. Do that with, with people that you're, to whom you're ministering. Second dot that we connect is the identity of the Messiah, the identity of the Messiah and I'll start with, in this time, I'm going to start with some New Testament verses and then work back to some Old Testament verses. In John's Gospel especially, in John chapter 4, Jesus is ministering to the woman at the well. And the verse right after the one that I quizzed the church on on Sunday morning about those who worship must worship in spirit and truth. Do you remember that? Um, and, and after that, the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who's called Christ, when he comes, he will tell us all things. Now, how in the world did a, did a uh, let's say, a misbehaved woman in Samaria know that the Messiah was coming? I mean, she had some background information. Could you have figured that out from what you learned from the Old Testament, exclusively from the Old Testament, that Messiah is coming? Hmm. So maybe she wasn't so misbehaved after all. <laughs> she was misbehaved like us all, but she had a few ducks in a row. She said, I know Messiah is coming. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Wow. There's a declaration for you. I am that one you're talking about, the Messiah. I mean, you can't get any more direct than that. Of course, others have claimed to be the Messiah. No one has proved themselves to be so except for Jesus. John 1, 40 and 41. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. 
John 20, verse 30 and 31. It says, And Jesus did many other signs. Truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. All of these verses that I've read here in John 20 presuppose a corporate uh, knowledge or pre-knowledge, if you will, of a person coming who would be God's anointed one. They don't think I said that in a very clear way. (laughs) What this means is there was a corporate body of knowledge held by the Jewish people whereby they knew that somebody special was coming. They knew somebody special was coming. And the expectation of that arose from texts like Deuteronomy 18. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like unto me, Moses said, from your midst, from your brethren, him you shall hear. Okay, They they connected this Messiah with this prophet. 1 Samuel 2.35, I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who shall do according to what is in my heart and in my mind. I will build him a sure house and he shall walk before my anointed forever, my Messiah forever. I've, I've, I've kind of earlier on in my reading of this misunderstood. I thought, I mean, the Lord himself, Jesus, is a faithful priest. But this appears to be talking about two separate people, the priest that's raised up who will walk before the anointed. That is the Messiah forever. Uh, how about this one? Speaking of Jerusalem, God said through David in Psalm 132, There I will make the horn of David grow, there in Jerusalem. The horn of David. This is, this is uh, God speaking through David. I will make the horn of David grow. I will prepare a lamp for my anointed. That's the Messiah. Or Psalm 110, The Lord has sworn and will not relent. You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. A faithful Jew would say, God is going to raise up somebody who is a Melchizedekian priest. Now that's weird. Could I say it that way? That's odd because there is no priest other than the Aaronic Levitical priest in the law, right? This is a different kind of priest, a priest according to the order of Melchizedek, God has sworn that he will not relent. He has assigned him a priesthood that lasts forever. Very strange. But that's what the Jewish people recognize, demand that there's somebody coming super special. A prophet is coming. Somebody, The priest is going to walk before him, himself a priest, uh, according to the order of Melchizedek and his anointed one uh, who will reign uh, and be the horn of David or be the, in the place of David. So those are two connections, the birth and the identity. The third one is the death of the Messiah. Okay, We're proving that Jesus is the Christ. Uh, how are we proving it? Well, fairly directly in many of these instances, sometimes indirectly by saying this happened to this guy and the same thing happened to this guy, so they must be equal. Okay, There's got to be some mathematical property that says that. If this is this and this is this and these two are the same, whatever, you, you'll figure that out. But... Daniel 9.26, after the 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. 
I don't know how much more explicit you need it to be in the Old Testament to understand. Uh, well, we've read that the Messiah lives forever or remains forever, the people of Israel said. Uh-uh. Not, yes, but not before some other event happens. Daniel the prophet said he will be cut off. Cut off means he will be killed. Daniel 9.25 specifies more about the timing of the Messiah's coming in the previous verse. Scholars have offered careful calculations from this that have demonstrated that from the time of Nehemiah rebuilding the wall of Jerusalem forward to the time when Jesus came to Jerusalem for the last week in his life, Daniel specifies that time uh, chronology. And then he would be cut off. But not for himself. Isaiah 53, he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people was he stricken. Isaiah 53:10. it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days. Here you have a little bit of an allusion to the death of Christ, making a soul an offering for sin. Very powerful word that is, by the way. To somebody who doesn't believe that a human can be an offering for sin, this text in the Old Testament tells a Jewish person there is a servant who's going to be an offering for sin. Um, And he shall prolong his days. The following verses talk about the glory of this one who was cut off. So evidently he must have been raised up again. That's the clear implication of it. And in Matthew 27, it says this in verse 50, And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. That means he died. He was cut off. Just like Isaiah 53 said, just like uh, Daniel chapter 9, verse 26 said, just like Isaiah 53, 8 said, he would be cut off from the land of the living. Now, admittedly, there is nothing remarkable about people dying. They do it all the time, unfortunately because everybody does so eventually. But the testimony of the New Testament texts, like the Old Testament text, is overwhelming that this man, Jesus, lived a sinless life and died a very strange death with a very deep spiritual meaning, beyond what anybody else had done before in death. I mean, you had the, you had the um, centurion standing there at the cross of Jesus when he died. He saw the earthquake, the darkness. You know, the temple had been, the veil had been rent in two and He heard how Jesus cried out, and what did he say? Truly, this man was the Son of God. Very, very unique. And indeed, it should be, because the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures. He was buried, and he rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures. Everybody dies, but only one man died for our sins, according to the Scriptures. Only one was buried and then rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up, he said. So that's the third dot. So the the birth, the identity, and the death of the Messiah. And then the fourth is the kingly glory or the regal glory of the Messiah. In 1 Peter, the Scripture says, Receive in the end of your faith the salvation of your souls. Of this salvation the prophets have inquired and searched carefully, who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating, when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ, we just talked about those, 
and the glories that would follow. The glories that would follow. What are those glories? Let me just share with you a few more texts of Scripture that connect the dots from the Old Testament into the New Testament about these glories. And there are many others that I could have selected. I should have, but we only have a limited time tonight. It says in Matthew 25, 31, when the Son of Man comes in His glory. Okay, we're talking about the glories that would follow. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the holy angels with Him, then He will sit on the throne of His glory. All the nations will be gathered before Him. Not a one will be missing. And in Psalm 2, the Lord says, Yet I have set my King on my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree. The Lord has said to me, You are my Son. Today I have begotten you. Okay, this is speaking about Him as King, okay, not as born like a baby. My son, I've begotten you. I am the father. You are the son. That's the kingship relationship between the son and the father. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. Notice all the nations will be gathered before him, Matthew. I will give you the ends of the earth for your possession, Psalm 2, 8. And verse 9, you shall break them with the rod of iron. You shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. Okay, this is glory. Revelation 12, 5. She bore a male child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up to God and to his throne. In Revelation 2, Jesus is speaking and he says, He who overcomes and keeps my works until the end, to him I will give power over the nations. He shall rule them with a rod of iron. They shall be dashed to pieces like the potter's vessels. The glories of Christ that would follow. That's what is the connection between the Psalms and Matthew 25 and 1 Peter and Revelation 2 and Revelation 12. And there are many others. I mean, Isaiah chapter 9, the government will be upon his shoulders. Of the increase of his government, there will be, and peace, there will be no end. That's the glory of the Messiah. So we've connected the dots. We've said, here's what the Old Testament tells us is going to happen. Here's what Jesus did. They look awfully equal to me. And I hope they look awfully equal to you. I know you've, some of you have heard this before and say, oh, this is okay, that's good. Now, do you know it well enough to share it with somebody else? You know it well enough to share it with somebody else. Can you give them a couple of dots to connect for the birth of Messiah, for the identity of the Messiah, for the death of the Messiah, and for the kingly glory of the Messiah? And probably there are a few others that you could think of, different categories. If you do, you want to send me a note, say, hey, what do you about this one? And I'd be delighted to receive that. Crowdsource some more information from you. But um, it's all here. It's all here. We just have to remember what we've read and, and connect the dots. So, Lord bless you tonight. Let me pray as we uh, pray, as, as we close and ask the Lord to seal this to our hearts. Lord God in heaven, I ask that you would take this material and uh, burn it into the long-term memory banks of our minds. Allow us not to just walk away from here by reason of familiarity and say, you know, ho-hum, oh well, 
another message, another uh, time gone or wasted or whatever. But Lord, that we would be able to take this information and share it with some hopeless soul and say, look, God has promised to provide, he has provided, and now he asks you to respond to his provision. And Lord, we thank you for the birth, identity, death, and glory of the Messiah and those connections between the Hebrew Bible and the New Testament text of Scripture. Help us to uh, share it with others, even at the art fair and whenever we have an opportunity. In Jesus' name, amen.